Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. But hey, if you want to follow along in your Bible, or if you have a Bible app, you want to be with us today, we're going to be most of our time today in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It'll be a little bit till we get there, uh, but that's where we're going to be the bulk of our time today. 1 Timothy chapter 6. All the verses, like always, will be on the screen for you. But if you want to follow along on your own, um, you can do that. So if you were here last week, we kicked this series off. And I shared with you that there are um, three things, but really just two things. And then the, the two things kind of drive you to the third thing. There are two things that are at the root or the source of almost all financial problems, disappointments, stress, heartache. And, and I don't know if you remember what they are. But this is the review portion of our series, okay? And so uh, they were uh, discontentment. Anybody remember that? Discontentment. Anybody remember what the other one was? Discontentment and worry. That one's not in there because we're not talking about that one today. Worry. Were you worried you didn't raise your hand fast enough? Or Okay. Yeah, discontentment and worry, right? And so those two things then drive us a lot of times to debt. And debt becomes kind of the third financial problem. But if you look at all your financial stress, it almost all traces back to one of these things. Either I'm discontent with what I've got right now, or I'm worried about what's coming down the road. Maybe I won't have enough. Maybe some unforeseen expense is going to come up, or maybe I'll never actually have enough to feel secure or satisfied or content. You know, they kind of run together. And so, uh, and then I shared with you last week that what we were going to do is the next two weeks, we're going to take one of those two things and rip them apart from God's word, look at them in depth. And so today we're going to look at a passage where God specifically um, deals through the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to Timothy, a pastor of a church, giving him instruction on how to live and what to teach to his church folk, which is exactly what we're going to do today, a couple thousand years later, on how to deal with financial discontentment. What do you do if you're discontent? How do you overcome being discontent? So maybe you're here today and you felt discontent for a long time. You felt like no matter how much money you make, no matter what job you take, no matter how wise of decisions you seem to make, somewhere deep down inside of you, you seem to feel discontent. You accumulate stuff. You work as hard as you can. Some of you take a second job, a third job, a different job, a higher paying job, and yet you still feel discontent. And so last week I shared, and this is where you get to help me out a little bit, okay? So last week I shared with you what drives discontent? We're going to give you two questions we kind of asked and answered for you last week. Here's the first one. You ready? So I want you to answer. Who can answer? If you just raise your hand, if you can answer it. What drives discontentment? Anybody remember what we said last week? What drives discontentment? Awareness. Awareness. Excellent. Excellent. Ten bucks. It pays. It pays to come to the hustle series, right? So it pays to answer. Pays to pay attention. What? Yeah, don't give any of that to Lee. I don't want to leave you getting any of that $10. All right. Here's the next question we asked and answered last week. There's one trait that all um, happy people share in common. Does anybody remember what it was? Peace. peace. Uh, somebody's leaving in the back. They said peace. But you're cheating because you're looking on the screen. So not only are you disqualified, you owe us $10 now. All right. For cheating. So, yeah, it pays to, it pays to pay attention at the hustle, I guess. Right. So. Yeah, all happy people share one trait in common. They don't all make the same amount of money. They don't all work in the same field. They don't all have the same size family. They're not all the same age, but they all have peace. And so that's what we're trying to get. How do I go from financial discontentment 
to financial peace? How do I go from being concerned and deep down in my soul stressed out about money to where it doesn't bother me at all, to where I can just have absolute security, absolute confidence, absolute peace? And that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're kind of tackling the first side of that. Next week, we'll tackle the other side of it, worry. To do it, we're going to look at some passages from the Bible we've never taught in our church before until this week or this series. And so I hope you'll kind of tune in. I hope if you weren't here last week, you'll go back and listen. Um, But that's what we want to do. How do I go from financial discontentment and instead fill my life up with financial peace? And I need you to know it's going to be difficult. Like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge because you're going to have to overcome some things you may have been doing for a decade or two. Some habits that we form that, that have like really held us down or, or caused us to be stressed out, caused us to be discontent. And that's a hard thing to do. And it might have taken you 20 years to get into this mess. So be prepared. It might take you 20 years to get out of this mess, right? It's kind of how it works, but that's okay. We're just worried about today. There's enough problems tomorrow. We're just going to worry about the problems for today. And so uh, how do I do that? And, and, and so, but first I want to just kind of back up and be like, well, how do we get here? Like, how did I get discontent? Because I wasn't born like financially distant. Nobody comes out of the womb and is like, you know, holding their hand out looking for allowance. You know, you're not financially discontent when you're born. In fact, like, it's, it's hard to find a toddler that's financially discontent. It's almost hard to find like a kind of an elementary school age kid that's financially discontent, you know. And somewhere along the way, you get discontent financially. And it's like, how do we get there? And so that's what I want to cover first today, because if we don't know that, how are we ever going to get out of it, you know? And so how do we get here? Here, Here's how we got there. I touched on it last week. If you weren't here, go back and listen. If you were here, I hope you remember this. But how do we get here financially discontent? It's because we believe the lie. We believe the lie that the connection between happiness and money was the word more. But in God's word, the connection between happiness and money is always the word manage. And so as long as we believe and as long as we're convinced that more of something will make me happy, that more of it will satisfy my appetite, that more of it will fill me up inside, we keep pursuing more only to end up with the same discontent feelings we had to start with. More, more money, more stuff, more effort, more work. And so you found new jobs, you found better jobs, you found second jobs, You got more degrees, you went into more debt, you bought more things, you got a bigger house, and yet you still feel discontent because more, according to God, won't ever bring you peace. But managed will. Is Roseanne about to start? Was that the Roseanne Roseanne Barr show back there? (laughs) Nobody under 30 has a clue what I'm talking about. awesome. I was thinking, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I was thinking as we were singing, because I'm not always like in a godly state, but I was thinking while we were singing, like the background we're using for this series, it it makes me think I need to ask somebody like go up on the roof, like adjust the rabbit ears, you know what I mean? It's like like the TV's kind of squibbly there, you know, but anyhow, so that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just (laughs) couldn't get it out of my mind, okay. None of me, nobody under 30 understands what I'm talking about about that either, so (laughs) that's okay. Um, anyhow, so where were we, Lord? <laughs> Bring us back. And so, um, okay, so we believe this lie that the answer to my financial discontentment is to get more. But the truth from God is that the answer to my financial discontentment is to manage better. And so that's how I got in this state. 
And, and what I need to do to get out of it is to change my behavior. Because God isn't trying to get you to get rid of everything you have. God's not anti-stuff. God is okay with you having stuff. He's just not okay with stuff having you. He, he wants your heart. He doesn't want stuff to control you and own you and enslave you. And so that's why he talks so much in his word about finances and money and stuff and how you manage it and what you do with it. And so what we need is a behavior change. I read this statistic this week. I don't know how they calculated this, but some study they did that decided that almost all financial problems, financial woes, financial stress people face, that they need about 20% information and about 80% behavior change. And that's probably how it is for us too. You might even right now, after just having been here last week or just having sat here for a few minutes or just having lived a few years of life, you might know all the information you need to be financially successful. You just might not be practicing it. And so what we really need is some behavior change because our processes, our systems that we have in place right now, they're perfectly designed to get you right where you are. There's no contradiction there. The behaviors you're enacting, the lifestyle you're leading, the choices you're making are perfectly designed to get you right where you are. It isn't just an accident that we're where we are financially. It happens because we develop certain habits. And healthy habits are formed over discipline through a long period of time. And unhealthy habits are formed through lack of discipline over a long period of time. And so what we need is some healthy habits in our life, but it's going to be difficult. Let me show you a verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says this. No discipline is enjoyable what is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest. Is that what we're looking for? Peace. Financial peace, because that's what happy people have in common, right? Financial peace. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. Discipline, training, that's not what I'm signing up for when I come to church. I'm signing up for like somebody to give me a tingle down my spine, to make me encouraged and feel good, to send me out of here fired up with passion so I can know God loves me and I'm doing everything just right. But the truth is, when we look in God's word, he's calling us to a life of some effort. Now, that effort won't save me. It doesn't have anything to do with me getting into heaven someday. But yet God has called me for a mission, for a purpose, for specific things. He saved me and created me as a masterpiece so that I could do the good works he planned for me long ago. And so he's called me to a life of discipline and a life of training. And that sounds awful if you leave out the rest of the verse. Until you realize that what God is saying is that that discipline and that training leads you to a peaceful life. That's what brings peace, and that's what all happy people share in common. Still believe it's about more. You'll never get there. But if it's about the work, the discipline, the training that it'll take to manage well, then I can get to a peaceful harvest. I can get to a peaceful life. I can get to financial peace on the inside. And what makes this whole problem even more challenging for us is that culture around us is constantly reminding us of all the stuff we don't have. And so every commercial and every friend and every advertisement and billboard and every uh, pop-up notification, they're all trying to remind me how much better my life would be if I just had more. And there's very few advertisements or peer influencers or social media apps that are trying to convince me to manage my money God's way. Very few. And so I'm like bombarded constantly with this idea of like, I guess more is the answer. And I believe that lie, but 
Look at this verse from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. It says, a peaceful heart, that's what we're looking for, right? A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer to the bones. I want to show you in the contemporary English version, they reword this. Instead of of, uh, peaceful heart, and instead of jealousy, they kind of swap those words out with two similar words. I want to show it to you. Uh, It's healthy to be content. Instead of have a peaceful heart, it's content. But envy, instead of jealousy, jealousy and envy, can eat you up. And that's what we're talking about today. How do I get content? How, how do I get away from being discontent? Because I want to be peaceful on the inside. I want to be healthy. I want to um, have a successful, fulfilled, happy life. I don't want to be consumed with jealousy and envy. I don't want to be discontent. I want to be happy on the inside. So let me just define a couple words for you, and then we'll kind of dig into the main text today. Let's make sure we're on the same page. With you. So the word envy. Here's what the word envy means. You ready? It's resenting other people who have something you don't have and at the same time thinking you can't be happy until you have that same thing too. That's envy, okay? Does everybody understand we're on the same page on that? And what the Bible says is like, that'll eat you alive. That'll steal your peace. That won't allow you to be content. All right, how about contentment? What is contentment? Here's contentment. You ready? It's my definition for that. It's the choice to be thankful and satisfied with what you already have. Simple. Simple to say. Hard to feel. Hard to do. Because this is what God's teaching us. That more won't help, but managing will. You can't ever satisfy an appetite with more. You know that, right? Like if you're hungry and you want to get rid of the hunger, all you got to do is not eat. Now you don't do that long enough, what will happen? You'll die. You won't be hungry anymore, will you? Right? Now, I'm not not advocating you starve yourself to death. I'm just saying, anybody ever tried to do like a sugar fast? Or Aaron and I were talking about this last year. Remember us talking about how it's like you're trying not to eat sugar, and then like you cheat that one time, and the next day is like 20 times harder not to eat sugar. But if you just go like two or three days without it, it kind of works its way out of your system. It's a little easier the next day. Why? Because when you feed an appetite, it grows. If you eat, no matter how much you eat right now, about six hours from now, you'll be hungry again. And every appetite's like that. Every appetite you have is like that. You would, you would never be able to have enough adultery to keep you from wanting to cheat on your spouse. You'd always end up wanting more. You, you never, you'll never be able to inject enough or swallow enough pills or to never want it again. The more you feed an appetite, the more it grows. And money's the same way. The more I get, the more I want. You never buy, has anybody ever bought a car and thought, oh, this will be the last car. I'll never want another one. I never want another house. No, every time you buy something, it's very short season until all of a sudden you want the next one, the bigger one, the better one, the new and improved one. You don't even know what this one has, you know? And that's how it works. If you feed an appetite, it just grows. And so as we buy into this lie and we feed the appetite of accumulating more and more and more stuff, more and more and more money, thinking that will make us content, the bigger the raise, the more discontent I seem to end up. The more stuff at my house, the more frustrated I seem to get. The more I accumulate, the more I seem to get into arguments with my spouse about money. Because I keep feeding that same appetite, thinking it's going to go away. But isn't it time to maybe do it God's way? All right, so here's what I want to do. 
1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor, Timothy. And he's giving him some encouragement and some instruction for his life. And then he takes almost all of it and he says, now, Timothy, teach all that to your church too. And that's what we're going to do today. And he he gets to chapter 6 and he tackles this subject of money and managing money and discontentment with your money. And it's important. And he knew it would be important. So he's going to kind of cover it with him. So what what he does is he lays out two formulas. The first formula he lays out is the formula to be financially peaceful, okay? And then the second formula he lays out is the formula to, to be completely discontent financially. I want to show you both of them, okay? Don't get hung up on like, well, what's that mean? Or can I do that? Or how do I make it happen? Just for right now, I want you to just see both of them, okay? So here's the first one. It starts in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And here's what it says. Godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now that's the formula. We'll come back to it in a second. Let me read you the rest of the little paragraph, verses 7 and 8, because he's going to give some logic behind the formula, okay? We'll come back to it. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Now, does anybody disagree with that? Because you're probably in the wrong place. Probably need to send you like the fifth floor in Somerset, right? If you think you brought stuff into the world with you or... You get what I'm saying, right? Okay. You're not taking anything out with you when you you leave, and you didn't bring anything with you when you got here, okay? And then he says in verse 8, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, that's easy to say. Like, hey, you got enough. Don't just stop it. Just be content. It's hard to teach somebody how to be content by just saying be content. You understand what I'm saying? So we're going to come back to it, but, but for right now, I just want you to see the formula. And here was the formula he gave, ready? He said godliness plus contentment equals great wealth. Now you could substitute great wealth there for some translations put great gain. You could substitute that out for financial peace. That's what we're talking about today, right? Godliness plus contentment equals financial peace, equals, equals great gain, equals great wealth, okay? So it's only two things, pretty simple, pretty basic. I get it. You could look at that and be godliness. That seems like, woo, way up here and I'm way down here. How am I ever going to live out godliness or be godly. We'll come back to that. Don't get hung up on that for right now. Just get what the formula is first, and then we'll come back to how you do it. He's going to tell us how to do it, okay? And so uh, this is the formula, God's formula, for driving out discontentment and gaining financial peace. And he noticed his logic behind the formula was, you didn't bring anything with you when you got here, and you're not going to take anything with you when you leave. Okay, AKA, that that's all, that stands for more isn't the answer. Okay, that's what he's trying to say there. More isn't the answer. You didn't bring any of it with you. You're not taking any of it with you. How could more now possibly be the answer? It's not the answer. Godliness plus contentment equals great wealth, great gain, financial peace. Okay? All right. At the end of your life, when you look back, if you're blessed enough to kind of have you know, some version of like, I know it's coming, you know, maybe we won't, all won't have that, but maybe you'll have that like gift of like, hey, you're not going to make it much longer and you'll be able to stop and reflect on your life. And if that's you in that moment, I promise you that you will not look back and wish you had more stuff. Nobody does. At worst, you'll look back and wish you had more stories. And so you got to ask the question now, like, do you want more stuff? Or do you want more stories at the end of your life? Because the accumulation of stuff is keeping you from a better story. 
it's causing you to have to take an extra shift, to have to take on a second job, to work a job that keeps you away from everything you love because there is no alternative. There's no way to do it. I, I, I couldn't quit if I had to because if I make a dime less, we're in trouble. You get it? So the more I accumulate, the harder it gets to make stories that I want at the end of my life and the more I just accumulate stuff. All right, so that was the first formula. Now in the very next two verses, he's going to give the opposite formula. How do I keep being discontent? How, how do I mess everything up financially? How do I, you know, be, have no financial peace and be unsatisfied? Here it is, verse, starting in verse 9. It says, But people who long to be rich, but people who long to be rich, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. You could just swap that out for things like debt. <laughs> You know, workaholism, you know, hoarding. Okay, but, but trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some, we're going to come back to this part, but some craving money have wandered away from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. All right, so in case you missed it, that one was a little hard to grab, but let me show it to you. Here's the formula he gives for the opposite. You ready? He says, longing to be rich plus foolish financial choices equals ruin and destruction. And then, like I said, those foolish financial choices, he isn't going to list them all, but you could all, for almost all of us, they can be summed up in just a couple things. Like I said, debt. Debt is a foolish financial choice. Being a workaholic, I got to just keep working, keep working, keep working to get more and more. That's a foolish financial choice, you know. You could, you could branch out into a bunch of things in there, but those are the basic kind of, either I'm, I'm, I'm overexerting myself for the sake of stuff or I'm over-leveraging myself for the sake of stuff. You got it? So those are foolish. So this desire, this longing, this passion to be rich, to have a bunch of stuff, plus acting on it and doing foolish things like going into debt, or taking on all these jobs to try to support what I want, my habits and all that. All that is leading me to ruin and destruction. You could swap that out for discontentment. Discontentment. At, a, at, a, at the best. At a minimum. And actual ruin and destruction at the worst. So that's kind of the two formulas he gives. And now he's going to show us how to do it. So I read this uh, research survey this week from Pew Research. And they asked Christians, now in my notes, I put Christians in, air, in quotes there because like, so you can do air quotes around that Christians there because like lots of people say they're Christian, but they've wandered from the true faith. We're gonna come back to that again, okay? So, but lots of people say they're Christians. So I don't know how many of these people actually are Christians, but they all identify as Christians. And they asked Christians this question. They said, what is your number one priority that you want to accomplish with your money? Okay? They ask Christians, what's the number one priority you want to accomplish with your money? The first priority, the highest ranking priority, was that I want to support, I want to provide for my family. I want to provide for my family, okay? And that makes sense. I could see a lot of people saying that. The second highest rated priority was I want to support the lifestyle I want to live. And I want you to know, if you're here today, and you believe that either one of those two things is the best way to manage your money, then you've been hustled. And you say, is it wrong to have the lifestyle that I'd like to live? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. 
Is it wrong to want to provide for my family? Absolutely not. But that is not the primary purpose of your money. God didn't give you money. God hasn't blessed you with wealth or riches so you can provide for your family first. He blessed you with riches so you could honor him with it first. The second one, the third one, the fourth one, they're up for debate. However you want to rank the next six or seven goals with your money, that's okay. We can debate that and talk about that, but there's no debate in the Bible that the primary concern of God when it comes to how I manage my wealth, how I manage my riches, my income, my pay, whatever, is honoring him with it is leveraging as much of it as I can somehow to create stories that will last for eternity, not stuff that will end when I die. All right, so then Paul is going to say to Timothy, here's how you do it. Okay, hopefully we're all in agreement. Maybe there's some people here like they're anti-God, they, they're atheists, or they just want to do what they want to do and don't want me to tell them what to do. And they're like, yeah, I want a desire to be rich, make foolish financial choices, and then have ruin and destruction hit my life. But for the most part in the room, I would say almost all of us want that first formula. So put that first formula back up here again. And I think this is probably what we would all say I want. Or almost all of us. Yeah, I want that. How, though? How do I become godly? How do I get content? And how do I have an equal great wealth or great gain in my life? So Paul's going to show us. Let me read it to you. And then we'll talk about these two things. He's going to kind of one paragraph on each. So look down at verse 11 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is what he says to Timothy. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. If you're an underliner, underline that phrase. To the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. All right. Carson, do me a favor there. Just like slowly pan back and forth between those two verses. I want you to, oh, I even underlined that. How about that? I was like thinking ahead. I didn't, even, I didn't even know I did that. So I want to pan back and forth between these two verses just slowly. And I want you guys to see something that stuck out to me this week that maybe I'd missed. Maybe I just kind of glossed over a lot. But these words kept coming up. The first word that really stuck out to me was the word pursue. But, but I want you to see several words that are in there. Here's, here's the words I want you to see. Look what he says. Run, pursue, flip to the next one, verse 12. Fight, hold tightly to. You get it? That's like, a, that's like a lot of repeat. Like he's saying the same thing, but using like four different wordings. Does that make sense? You got to run away from some stuff. You got to run towards some stuff. You got to fight for it. Hold on tightly to it. Pursue it. Okay. And then it just kind of clicked with me. Like, I want to be godly. Now, he's got all these things in there you got to do. Hey, go after righteousness and, and, and pursue like godly things and, and live the kind of life that God wants you to live. Be persevering, love people, be gentle, all that stuff. But the words he keeps repeating over and over are fight, pursue, run after, hold on to. Do you, do you get it? What? Godliness takes disciplined effort. Do you get it? It's going to be a commitment by me every day to wake up. So here's where we're going to start on this. If you want to be godly, 
you got to wake up tomorrow determined to be godly. It isn't going to just fall in your lap. You're not going to get to the end of the day and know more about the Jesus way than you did at the beginning of the day unless you add some intentionality to the day. I got to choose to spend time with the Lord. I've got to choose to do the right thing when I feel like doing the wrong thing. I've got to choose to love my neighbor because they act like a jerk sometimes. I've got to choose to turn the other cheek because they deserve to be punched. I've got to choose to give my money because I want it all. I've got to choose the Jesus way intentionally or it won't just happen. I've got to fight, hold on to it, run after it, pursue it. You get it? It's all going to start right there. Intentional, disciplined effort over time to develop healthy habits. All right, let me give you the second paragraph, and then we'll kind of come back and sum it up for you. Here's the second paragraph. Skip down to verse 17, and this is what he says. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. Now, I know there's some people here thinking like, well, that's not me. I'm exempt because I'm not rich, right? You're thinking that like everybody but Opie's thinking that. That we're not rich, but Opie is rich, okay? So, but, but I want you to know you are rich. If you're here today in this church, living in this country, you are rich. You just don't know it. So I wanna, I wanna, I've told our church before, like, if you have a, a handful of loose change in your car right now or at home in a jar, you have more wealth than half the world. If you have the clothes on your back and two outfits hanging up at home, you have more wealth than half the world. So are we rich? I, I read this one this week. This blew my mind. If you are a family of four and you make $37,000 a year or more, $37,000 a year and you're a family of four, you are in the top 4% of wealth in the world. Now, if you raise that income, to $48,000 a year, a family of four making $48,000 a year or more, you are a one percenter. You make more money than 99% of the world. So again, who is he talking to? When he says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Then he goes on, verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience... So that they may experience... You got the last verse on there? Verse 19? No? Yeah, true life. Okay, I thought I underlined that. So underline that if you're an underliner too, right? All right, do the same thing on this one. Just kind of float through 17, 18, and 19 there for a second. I want you to see the words he uses for this. So now we're talking about like contentment and how to like, how to experience this true life, this full life, this satisfied, peaceful life, right? How do I experience? Look at these words he uses in this one. You ready? He uses words like this, trust in God, use money to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share. Just hear those words again for a second and just answer one question for me. Use your money to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, 
Be ready to share. And the question is, does that describe you? Like, does that describe you financially? Are you always ready to share? Are you rich in good works? Are you generous? Is that you? Using your money to do good. And you know what's funny about verse 19? Put verse 19 back up there for just a second. He says, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. That verse sounds an awful lot like something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. When he said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them and thieves do not break and steal. And then he ends it with this kind of famous verse about wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so it's the same idea. You can't take any of it with you. So why are you leveraging it all for stuff instead of stories? If you didn't bring any of it here to start with and you can't, take any of it with you to heaven. And this right here is the treasure principle. We have a book we've sold before called The Treasure Principle. And this is the treasure principle. You can't take any of it with you, but you can send it all on ahead. That's what Jesus is teaching. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here because you're not going to get to take any of those with you. It's just stuff. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because they'll be waiting for you when you get there. Those are stories. And so this is Paul's logic behind how we find contentment. We pursue godliness with intentionality. We gain contentment by being generous, full of good works, not leveraging our cash, our finances for stuff, but for eternity's sake. And I was thinking this week about like Siri on my phone. If you got an iPhone, you got Siri or whatever. And uh, we've been taking Sydney like a bunch of different places for basketball practices. They've been doing them at different places. And so some of them I've never been before. So I have to like, you know, hey, Siri, give me directions to wherever the place is at. And then uh, one time this week, I wasn't paying attention. And I turned the opposite way that Siri said to turn. You know, you've done that before. You know, so. And then, uh, but what's ironic is like Sydney, like Sydney, Siri. Siri didn't scream at me, right? She didn't like turn the phone off, refuse to help me anymore, you know? She didn't like call me names, tell me I'm a blockhead, you know. All she did was like took that little like blue circle with the arrow in it, rotated it, right, different way, and then simply said, proceed to the route, proceed to the route. And I kept going the wrong way. She kept saying, proceed to the route, like pointing the right way. And I was singing like, that's how God is with me. When it comes to my finances, when it comes to anything, he's not chewing you out. He's not getting the angels together and be like, look what an idiot this guy is. He's not turning you off, cutting you off from his advice and saying, I'm not going to help you anymore. No, he's just turning the arrow back to where it should be pointed and being like, hey, hey, dude, proceed to the route. Head back that way. You're going the wrong way, man. Turn around. Ruin and destruction. Financial peace. Head that way instead. That's what's going on. See, real, what Paul's trying to teach us is that real contentment is found when I redirect my pursuit. You get it? 
My pursuit can't be all about me and my kingdom. I don't get to take any of that stuff with me. It's got to be about all about God and his kingdom. Now, maybe that's still complicated. I'm going to sum it up for you in two words. I think I can sum this whole passage up for you in two words. If you want to be financially content, here's how you do it. You ready? It's mission and margin. That's it. That's what Paul's talking about here. Mission and margin. I leverage as much of my finances as possible for those two things, for mission and margin. And when people get financially stressed or discontent, it's when they wake up each day and they leverage a bunch of their finances for their mission instead of God's mission. Or it's when they wake up every day and they leverage a bunch of their finances and eliminate margin. And they couldn't be generous if they wanted to because there's nothing in their wallet and there's nothing at the bank and the credit card's maxed. How are you going to be generous if there's no margin? Do you get it? These are the two words that create financial contentment. I was thinking about our life and, and we've spent a lot of our married life like financially stressed. And now we've spent quite a bit of time financially like peaceful. And I was thinking about this these two things are the reason. There's, there's no other reason why I never really stress about money. I mean, I never think about it. I just never think about it anymore. This is why. Because I'm trying to leverage as much of my money as I can for things that will be waiting for me in heaven. And, and with whatever's left, I'm trying to create as much space as possible between what I have to spend and what we have coming. And it gives you freedom. Mission and margin. And I shared it last week. I'll share it again. We'll share it next year and the year after and the year after that because this is God's plan and his word. You ready? It's give, save, spend. Give, save, live. That's it. This is how, by keeping these in this order, this is how you live on mission and you live with margin. You know what giving is? It's me living on mission. It's me living on God's mission. I'm giving to him first. You know what saving is? It's creating margin. You get it? This plan, this formula, this is God's plan for, to manage your finances. Give to him first. And by doing that, you will be intentionally pursuing and fighting for and holding on to the true faith. You will be intentionally convincing your heart to put Jesus first and be content with what you have. And then if you'll second save some money, you will be building margin into your life. And margin keeps you from getting stressed when an emergency strikes. Keeps you from feeling like you're, you're never going to have enough. And you're, it, it builds contentment into your life. Now, Kenny's taught this. I've taught this. We usually tell people, like, here's a good principle, a good model to follow. Just go 10, 10, 80. Give God the first 10% you make, save the second 10% you make, and live only on the 80% left, that's left. Of course, most Americans live 0, 0, 105. And that's the real problem. They're giving Jesus nothing, they're saving nothing, and they're spending 105% of what they make. And so over half the country says they're living paycheck to paycheck, which means that if you missed one paycheck, something would be turned off, something would be late, you wouldn't be able to pay a bill, paycheck to paycheck. And I hate to even share this with you guys because I don't want to be the hero. If you, if you end up like me, you failed, all right? I want you to end up like Jesus. But I need you to know that this is possible. 
okay? So I went back this year, and I looked at Stephanie and I's budget. Is she in here? Oh, yeah, she's back in the back. Bad kids back in the back. But um, I looked at our budget. I added up. I've never done this before. I have done this with what we give to God, but I've never done this before for the rest. But I just want you to show. This is our budget this year. We're at 30, 18, 52. Now, I'm not saying that so you'll be like, oh, you guys are so great. I'm saying that because I know there's people sitting here that go back to the 10, 10, 80 for a second. I know there's people sitting here that look at that and they say, that's impossible. Go to the next one again. And what I'm telling you is, if that's possible, then I know 10, 10, 80 is possible. And if you think it's not, you're being hustled. You've wandered away from the true faith. And you've created some religion that you think God is okay with. And he's not. Because he's looking at your life and you have no margin to be generous. And you have no obedience in giving to him. And he's not looking at you and thinking, you're crushing it. He's looking at you and thinking, you're crushing me. I know it's possible because I know what we're doing. And I know we're no different than you. And we know what it's like to be buried under debt. I know what it's like to have $40,000 in student loans and a car payment and cell phone bills and, and credit discover card payments and all that stuff. I know what it's like to be thinking, if I don't get that paycheck, I'm not going to be able to pay that bill. And I'm just telling you, we never think that now. And we don't make more than we used to. We make less. But every year when we do our budget, we start off with the exact same two questions. If you're not doing a budget, you're getting hustled. I said that last week. If you're doing a budget and it doesn't start every time with these two questions, you're getting hustled, okay? Here's the, here's the two questions we're asking every year. You ready? Question number one, how much more can we give to Jesus this year? Question number two, how much more can we save this year? And any questions other than those that start the thing off, are you building your own kingdom, living out your mission, or are you stealing margin from your family? Mission and margin. They better start with those two questions. How much more can I leverage for Jesus? How much more can I leverage to save? And by doing that, I will be living on mission and creating margin. And I thought this week, I didn't ask any of these people if I could share this. So I hope it doesn't offend them or not, but... I was thinking about like some people in our church this week and they're all over our church, people with great stories. I was thinking about Michael. There's people that would look at my numbers and call me an idiot, that you're a fool. You're giving money to something that doesn't even exist. You're saving for what? You only live once. Might as well live now. Stop saying no. And I thought to myself, if $1 of what I've given to Jesus helped to create this space, where somebody that looks like this, <laughs> it's awesome, dude, would come out a few years back and want to sit down out at that pavilion and say, I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart, then it wasn't a waste. It was worth it because it wasn't stuff. It's a story. If one dollar that I gave to Jesus, if one biscuit or potato or whatever that we bought for Life Group caused Abby to want to come to Life Group and say, I want Jesus to have my whole life, then it wasn't a waste. It was worth it. If one dollar that we spent had anything to do with convincing Opie to come back to church because his wife wanted him to, when he'd rather like jab a pen into his eye than be here. 
then it wasn't a waste. It was worth it. Do you understand what's going on? Are you building stories or stuff? And I look around the room and I see a lot of people that I get to be part of their story because I start the year off by saying, how much of me can I leverage for Jesus? How much more margin can I create by saving? And if I do that, if we can live off 52% of what we make, I know you can live off of 80. You with me? I want you to create stories, not stuff. I want you to live on mission and to have margin so that you will have financial peace in your life. None of it will be wasted. It will all be worth it. I promise. And you can do it. Just one step after another, a little bit of discipline that'll seem painful and, and make, like, make you a little miserable up front, but in the long run, it will produce a harvest of peace in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, this hard truth. I know it, Father. I know that people don't like to have you in their business about their money and all that. I know that it's a sensitive subject in our culture. But God, would you break through all of that hypocrisy, all of that pride and vanity in us? Would you break through all those lies that we've believed? And would you just douse our people right now with some courage, some courage to make some hard choices, to stop waiting for their ship to come in, to stop looking for the higher paying job to obey you, to stop waiting, God, and to just take the leap of faith and do what you say and manage your way and get to see a peaceful harvest of blessing in their life for it. God, would you give them that courage? Simple prayer today, God, but we just need your strength to do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.